0: I don't know about you, but I love singing songs that are about the gospel. That's a a beautiful hymn, not just of the sacrifice of our Lord, but also of what is to come. This is our future church. This morning we continue our study of the book of 1 Corinthians. We find ourselves in chapter 10 this morning. And our focus will be on verses 1 through 13, that's page 957 in the Bibles that are provided for you there in the rows. If you do not have your own copy of the scriptures, we invite you to to follow along there. If you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. Thank you for venturing out on a day where you are going with an hour less of sleep and it is my prayer for each of us um, as we are looking at what I think is one of the most practical application-wise passages, or chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians that you will fight hard to battle that one less hour of sleep that you do not have in order to engage this passage fully. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 beginning at verse 1. for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as an example for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it, was, as, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let us pray together. Lord, I thank you uh, for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for these dear brothers and sisters who have gathered to worship you and to honor you and to grow in you. I pray, Lord, that the fruit of our day together, through our, our singing together, our praying together, to our sitting under your word together, Lord, would, would be that uh, eternal fruit is, is born in our lives, that, that the world would, would see your work in us and that they would glorify you because of it. Lord, I pray that we would be sensitive to your spirit's work in our hearts and our minds, Lord, where we are convicted of sin, Lord, help us to be quick to repent. Uh, Lord, where we need encouragement and comfort, Lord, I ask that you would grant that. And Lord, that you would give us understanding to your eternal and true word. Grow your church for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. And I ask for your help. Amen. Now, if you're visiting with us, we, it is our practice here at New Hope to work through books of the Bible, uh, verse by verse, section by section, in order for the church uh, to have a, a greater understanding of, of, of the entirety of Scripture. Uh, it would be have been very easy this morning for me just to focus on uh, verses 12 and 13, which are, are a little more application oriented while overlooking verses one through 12, which uh, are 1 through 11, which Uh, really focus a lot on Israel's history, but I think you will find this morning as we look at this passage as a whole that the, the, the thrust of verses 12 and 13 really are seen in understanding verses 1 through 11. Now we are in a section of the book of 1 Corinthians where Paul is responding to questions that have been raised by the church in Corinth uh, that they had asked him in a, in a letter previous, previously written. And, and, and the question that Paul has been dealing with at this point is, is, is a question in relation to whether or not it was, it was acceptable for the believers in Corinth to, to eat at the temple where idols were worshipped or, or to even eat food that had been sacrificed to idols and this question was asked way back in chapter 8 and here we are in chapter 10 and and Paul has given them much more than they bargained for in terms of his answer and he's not done yet you're going to see next week that he comes back specifically to, to, to narrow down his answer. He's already made it clear that, that, that food offered to idols, uh, you know, idols are, are just idols. They, they represent false gods. And food is just food. But what matters is our understanding and, and the heart behind how we do these things. Remember, the church in Corinth was a confused church. It was a a sinful body. It was marked by division and, and things like that. And so Paul doesn't just answer their questions with yes or no, but he wants to get to the heart of the matter. And in so doing, I think he gets to the heart of the matter in our lives as well. Paul has made it clear that the governing principle on our lives as we relate to one another in the church, whether it be in, in dealing with, 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 with worship or, or in the context of, of food, sacrifice to idols, that, that the overriding principle in our lives should be that we love one another so much that we do not desire to put a stumbling block in front of each other, spiritually speaking. Two weeks ago, we, we saw, or last week, you we saw that Paul applied this principle even to his own ministry. He said, you know what? When I, when I came to Corinth to, to, to bring you the gospel, I, I did not want anything about my ministry to look like the, or the, 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 the efforts of the philosophers who came to town, who, who, who sought to get paid for speaking in public. So Paul did not take money from the church in Corinth. Instead, he took a job. He took a job. Even though it would have been within his rights to receive money, he wanted to set that aside so that it would not be a hindrance to their understanding the gospel. And then Paul closed that section with a warning that, that, that it's important how we do things as the body of Christ. We, we don't want to do anything in a way that might cause us or our testimony to, to, to be disqualified in our efforts to reach others with the gospel. So Paul closed last week with, uh, in, in chapter 9 by focusing on the point that, that he wanted to minister in such a way that, that it would give no reason to, to, to bring reproach on the name of Christ. That's, that's how that section ended up. And in verse 10, he really is continuing a warning, or in chapter 10, really is continuing a warning, but he's doing so from the perspective of the history of Israel. And I think the main theme that we're going to see as we work through chapter 10 is that true faith expresses itself through how we live. We've seen this already in our study of 1 Corinthians. And in chapter 10, Paul takes examples from the Old Testament to both warn and call the Corinthians To be on guard against temptation and and to be faithful in their pursuit of of godliness and love for one another. This morning we're going to consider our passage under two main headings. First, we're going to see the danger of unbelief for those who receive God's faithfulness. And secondly, we're going to encounter a warning and a promise for the people of God. And again, as I said earlier, I believe this is one of the most practical chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's my prayer that that the result of this message would, would be that God would grow us in our personal holiness and in our corporate faithfulness through obedience to his word. Let's look first at verses 1 through 11, unbelief in the face of God's faithfulness. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Now, honestly, when I began planning this message, I thought, you know what, we're going to zip through verses 1 through 11 and, and really camp in, in verses 12 and 13, and that's the goal, but I make no promises because this section is rich, brothers and sisters. This section is important. And Paul's point is clear. We see this in verse 11. He says, Now these things happened to them, to the Hebrews, to the Israelites, as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So so Paul's point in in this Old Testament history that he's giving, specifically a a history that's focused on the exodus of uh, of the people of of the Hebrews from captivity in Egypt and and through some of their travails in the Promised Land, is is to, in in essence, teach the lesson of that age-old adage... Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. You've all heard that before. Paul makes this point, or or illustrates this principle by making two points. The, The first point is simple, that all of the Hebrews who were delivered from Egypt, each one of them experienced firsthand God's supernatural deliverance and provision. Okay, the Exodus wasn't something that just Moses and Aaron and, and a few of the, the leaders of the tribes of, of the Hebrews experienced. Every person that was delivered from Egypt, from slavery, from Pharaoh, every person saw God at work through the ten plagues. Every person what, what, what crossed the Red Sea on dry land, every person person was led by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Every person, every person received God's supernatural food and God's supernatural drink. So he's making it clear that, that, that it wasn't just a few in the Old Testament, the, in the Exodus that experienced this. But all of the Hebrews experienced this. And that's an important point. Because we see in the second point that experiencing these things, this supernatural work of God in deliverance and provision, is no guarantee that someone will be faithful. In fact, we see that most of them were not. So, so those would be the two headings that, that I would look at verses 1-11 one, one through 11 under this morning. And why would this be important to the Corinthians and and for us? Well, the Corinthians, and probably us as well, were were filled with pride, and, and Paul wants them to see the importance of walking in humility and faith. They too, just as we have, experienced God's deliverance and provision in the gift of salvation, but that does not mean that we do not still need to grow in our faith. So in verses 1 through 4, Paul points out that the Hebrews all experienced God's supernatural deliverance. He writes, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed him. That rock was Christ. Now, if you've read the, the account of the Exodus, the, the, then you know that God did incredible acts to deliver his people. From the, from the plagues to the parting of the Red Sea to, 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 the, to the guiding by, by the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night to, to the feeding in the wilderness, the people experienced God in a way that had never been experienced before by so many people god is showing his favor to the people that would become his nation the the manna from heaven and the water that flowed from the rock were for all the people not just a select few Paul even points out that that rock was Christ. And what he's saying is that the rock that that, that would provide water wasn't literally Jesus, but it was a a picture or a type of of Christ. And what, what I mean by that is that as you look at that in the Old Testament, it's a picture of the living water that Jesus would provide for us who come to him by faith. Does that make sense? The Old Testament is is filled with imagery like that. We'll we'll, we'll see another one later in this section. But Paul's saying, everybody who escaped Egypt experienced these things. Can you imagine that? You've just been delivered from slavery in Egypt because God dropped ten plagues on the Egyptians that had them so ready to let you out. That not only did they tell you you could go, but they were giving you their gold and silver and precious things to get you out of town. That's that's how bad the plagues were. These plagues not only broke Pharaoh down, but they also exposed the Egyptian gods for the frauds that they were. And so in this, God isn't just saying, let my people go. He's saying, listen, the, the, the gods whom your captors worshipped were false gods. So they left having experienced God's power and witnessed God's power in ways that, that, that set him apart from any other god they had ever heard about. Even as Pharaoh changes his mind and becomes and begins to pursue the people of Israel, God parts the Red Sea until every Hebrew had crossed, and then he caused the waters to crash down on the enemy. Even after that, if they were tempted to doubt God's goodness, all the Hebrews had to do was to to look up and look ahead and and see the cloud that led during the day and the fire by night. Now, honestly, when we read Old Testament history, it's tempting to think, oh, well, I wouldn't have been like that. We tend to think that we would be at the front of the line cheering God on day after day. Yeah, God, thanks for the cloud. Wow, that pillar of fire is awesome. We know right where we're going. Thanks for the manna. But many times we're just like the Hebrews. And the Hebrews were unfaithful. Look at verses 5 through 11. Paul continues, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now again, we see in these verses that that experiencing God's hand at work was no guarantee that the people would be faithful. In fact, Paul gives four examples of the unfaithfulness of the Hebrews that, that are to serve as instruction, not just for the Corinthians, but for us as well. In in verse 7, Paul points out that that, that some of the Hebrews engaged in outright idolatry. The the quote in verse 7 is directly from Exodus chapter 32, which gives the account of of Aaron and the Hebrews creating a golden calf to worship while Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving God's love. You remember the story, Exodus chapter 32. I want to read verses 1 through 6. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and rose up. To play. Now, listen, we we must understand that in making a golden calf, the people had fashioned a God after their own desires. We want a God we can look at so we can give him credit for all that supposedly took place. Meanwhile, Moses is is on the mountain receiving the command, you shall not make a graven image. Now listen, it's it's not even like Moses snuck off in the middle of the night to meet with God. Now, we know from uh, this section, if you read it, it's several chapters long, that Moses was up there a long time. But if you go all the way back to Exodus chapter 19, you you see that when Moses went up to the mountain to meet with God, God had actually commanded that all the people come to the base of the mountain because God wanted to show them his power. It's almost like God knew that they were going to be tempted while Moses was away. Hmm. if you go back and look at chapter 19, the people come and they're warned, come to the base, but do not touch the mountain. Don't let your, your animals touch the mountain. Don't let your servants touch the mountain because this mountain is holy. But come and see. And as the people gathered round, thick, dark clouds engulfed the mountain. A trumpet blasted. Thunder and lightning cracked and roared. And the people were terrified. God didn't even reveal himself. He just revealed a a taste of his power. And here they are, weeks later, having forgotten what they witnessed, having forgotten all that God had done. So again, it is possible to experience the good things of God and still be unfaithful. Let the people be warned. The, the second example of the people's unbelief is seen in verse 8. Paul continues, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a day. It's believed this is in reference to Numbers chapter 12. The, the people of Israel are, are, are still in the wilderness wanderings and they've defiled themselves by becoming sexually involved with the female Moabites. And this resulted in God's judgment coming upon the people in the form of a plague. Verse 9 reveals a third example of the Hebrews' unbelief. Paul continues, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. This is Numbers chapter 21 verses 4 through 9. I want to read that to you because this is another one of those pictures, our our foreshadowings of the ministry of Jesus. It says, from Mount Hor they they, they set out by by, by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food, talking about what God had provided. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many of the many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take the serpents, take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent pit, bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live brings to mind the, the image of, of, of someone else who was lifted up on a pole, does it not? The people of Israel were under God's judgment for putting him to the test. The serpents were God's judgment. And, and, and the remedy is seen through God saying, "No, okay, if you want to live, you will do this. Brothers and sisters, we were under God's judgment before we came to faith in Christ. Christ was lifted up and died in our place so that we could live. People wanted out of the wilderness. They wanted God to provide even better food for them. They wanted God's provision, but they wanted little to do with the God who provides now the final example of unbelief is found in verse 10. Paul continues, Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now this is likely a reference to Numbers chapter 16, which gives an account of, of what's known as Korah's rebellion. Perhaps you've heard of that before. Korah and other leaders from the different tribes of Israel rose up and, and in essence they challenged Moses' authority, which was ultimately a challenge against God's authority as well. Korah and his followers were were destroyed when, when God caused the ground to open up under their feet and swallowed them whole. That should have been enough, right? For everybody else to say, you know what? No, God, we're good. You want Moses to lead? We got that. But no, the very next day, many of the people came to Moses and said, you know what, what God did to Korah and and the leaders is not right. Well, the next day, they were struck with a plague which killed 14,700 of them. Now, this may sound harsh. And if it sounds harsh to us, can I lovingly counsel you that, The reason it sounds harsh is that your view of yourself is way too high and your your view of God's holiness is way too low. When God says what he says, he means it. (laughs) When God says something should be a certain way, that is how we ought to do it. It is not on us to to, to try to filter it through our our cultural desires or even our sinful desires to want to do things our way. We need to to first seek to understand what he said in context and then apply it appropriately to our lives. God's glory and and God's standards matter to God. And and the example of the Hebrews in in the Exodus served to remind us that we should not take lightly what God has done. But also understand that in choosing these examples, Paul could have chose many examples from the Old Testament, could he not? In choosing these examples, Paul had something specific in mind. He's dealing with the sins that they dealt with. The first was that of idolatry. Idolatry. The story of the golden calf. Now, we have already learned in our study of Corinthians that, that idol worship was a big deal in Corinth. But Paul is getting to more than just the actual going to the temple and worshiping a false god. He's dealing with the issue of the idolatry of the heart. We're going to see this even more next week. The, the people of, in the church of Corinth were in danger of taking idolatry lightly and, and not guarding against how it was affecting others in the church. The second was the sin of sexual immorality. We've already covered this in our study of 1 Corinthians. The the, the problem of of, of not just sexual immorality existing within the church, but it being celebrated by some of those in the church. The third sin was putting God to the test by questioning his goodness. The, The Corinthians were consistently going beyond what they had been taught by Paul and the other leaders That God had provided them and they did so in order to indulge in their own sinful desires or to feed their egos. They wanted to to be something in their own eyes. And the final example was to complain. And we've already learned in this study that within the church in Corinth there were factions that that aligned with various teachers. and, And there were divisions based on who was mature and who was weak, who was rich and who was poor and so on. So Paul is very specific in choosing these examples to say, listen, Corinthians, the people of Israel had the same issues you have, and God did not take those sins lightly. In other words, he's saying, wake up, wake up, wake up, Corinthians, you are in danger. Wake up, new hope. If we are not on guard, we are in danger. Not in danger of losing our salvation. But we are in danger of losing the, the, the joy of doing things God's way, the, 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 the vitality of our, of our witness in the world, true fellowship with one another. If God did not take lightly the sins listed for the Hebrews from his people in ancient times, why do we think he would do so now? And this leads to Paul's warning and promise for the people of God. Verses 12 and 13. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now we've seen that the Apostle Paul has gone to great lengths in addressing the Corinthians' questions concerning whether or not it was acceptable to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Up to this point, the, the emphasis has been on the importance of loving sacrifice within the church for the good of one another. Brothers and sisters, true love for one another in the church means that we are willing to, to sacrifice our rights for the spiritual health of those that we, 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 we worship with, those who may have weaker consciences. Paul goes on to, to, to show that that approaches his ministry. And then he goes on to, to, to reveal in chapter 10 that the problem with the Corinthians was that their focus was not on what was good for one another, but it really is on themselves individually. This is evident in every sin that Paul addresses with the church in Corinth. It's it's true of the factions. It's true of the presence of sexual morality. It's true of their faulty view of marriage and true spirituality. It's it's true of their understanding of the gifts of the Spirit. It was true that was revealed in their perversion of the Lord's Supper and so on. The church in Corinth was preoccupied with themselves. And when we are preoccupied with ourselves or our perceived rights and freedoms rather than our devotion to the Lord who set us free, this feeds directly into our sinful pride. And, and pride is the basis for true idolatry. In chapter 8, Paul pointed out that the idols the people worshipped were devoted to gods who were not real. But this does not mean that idolatry is acceptable. In God's sight. The, the worship of anyone or anything other than God is idolatry. The failures of the Hebrews that, that, that was con- chronicled in, in verses 1 through 11 are the result of their failure to be truly devoted to the Lord. And these, serves, these sins serve as a warning to all Christians that we too can fall. That's, that's where he's coming from in verse 12. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. It's a strong warning to those of us who deal with pride, which would be us. The, the Greek word that's translated stands can, can also under, be understood to mean to be established or confirmed. It's, it's the picture of someone who, who thinks that they are, are on solid ground. Someone who thinks they're safe, if you will. Those who initially wrote to Paul likely saw themselves as as the mature in the church and and those who were established in the faith. And, And we've seen already that Paul quotes statements that they made in their letter usually just before revealing how wrong they were in their understanding of things. It's a prideful church. In reality, the entire church in Corinth was spiritually immature But likely few realize that this was the case. And and I would submit to you this morning that we all can be guilty of thinking that we're further along spiritually than we actually are at times. No one is exempt from that sin. Verse 12 is a warning to those who think that they have it all together spiritually. That they're standing firm in their faith when in fact they are in danger of falling. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Take heed means to watch out or to beware, to be on guard. This is in what's known as the imperative tense, as you read about that verb in in the Greek. And, And an imperative is a command. Paul's not making a suggestion here. Hey, guys, take heed. No, he's saying take heed, be on guard. Listen, people, the the Hebrews experienced God's power in ways that you've never seen. But they fell because they weren't on guard. If the Hebrews could reject God in light of all they had experienced, we must guard our hearts against the same kind of idolatrous unbelief. Friend, do not simply skip over verse 12 as it relates to your Christian life. You must take heed. You must be on guard. You must be aware of the fact that you too can rebel against the God who saved you. We live in a time when when being led by our feelings is seen as a virtue. And I can tell you that nothing is further from the truth. We can fall, brothers and sisters. We, we can fall and we will fall if we do not prepare ourselves to truly stand in God's strength. Sadly, I, I could spend the rest of our time together and, and, and even go beyond it, well beyond it. Listing men and women who were at some point seen as fateful examples of godliness and faithfulness who fell publicly and tragically. Sadly, the, the list is even longer of those who have failed and yet it remains private. In fact, we've all failed, have we not? To some degree or another? And it happened when we thought we were standing, spiritually speaking. Hear my heart, new hope. You must take heed. You must be aware of the fact that you too can fall into temptation and sin. You must guard yourselves. Many of us are acutely aware of the sins that we are habitually tempted by. And with God's help, we must guard our hearts and seek to grow in love for our Lord so that we will learn to hate the sin that so easily entangles us. There is a weight that comes with verse 12, is there not? Do you feel that weight? This warning should sober us and and would even depress us were it not for verse 13. Paul follows up his warning with a promise that is rooted in God's faithfulness. Look at verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There is a name that some of you have heard maybe once or twice over the past eight and a half years. The gentleman by the name of Ed Germain, for whom I am eternally grateful. If God has used my ministry in your life in any way, then you too should thank God for Mr. German, Mr. G, as we called him. He He was... The man who discipled me and mentored me when I was in college, and seminary. He held me accountable. He helped me understand the Bible. And he insisted that I memorize Scripture. And 1 Corinthians 10.13 was one of the first verses that he ever made me memorize. It's been over 25 years since he made me memorize that verse. And I can recall it today. You may notice me struggling as I've been reading from the ESV. It's because I memorized it in the New American Standard. And, and I will always know it that way. But this is a verse, brothers and sisters, filled with promise that is rooted in the character and the faithfulness of God. And I challenge each one of you this morning, no matter what your age, to memorize it and to use it to guide your prayers when you are tempted Our time grows short, but I want to tackle it phrase by phrase. Let's look at the first sentence. Paul writes, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. This is a simple yet profound truth. The temptations that you face, no matter what they are, are common temptations. Now, pride would lead us to think that there's something special about the sin that we wrestle with. But in reality, the person next to you is likely dealing with them as well. Now, the expressions of those temptations may look different. Severity may be different in different people's lives. But the reality is the temptations that we face, whatever they may be, are not unique just to us. Sorry to bust your bubble. But this is a very important reminder especially as we seek help from one another in the church. As we lovingly hold one another accountable, we too recognize that, that, that we are tempted in the same way and that we need to be cared for and held accountable. It, it fosters humility in our relationships with one another. Brothers and sisters, the church is to be a spiritual hospital where we seek help and healing as we battle against our sinful desires and even deal with our failures. Temptation is real. Temptation is consistent and temptation is common. We are going to face temptation as long as we live in this fallen world. But next comes the promise. God is faithful. The the key to to self-discipline and self-control is not found in the word self for Christian but it is found in our understanding of who we are in Christ and our growing in understanding of who He is. God is faithful. He's faithful to His people. He is faithful to His promises. He is faithful in all that He says and does. The Bible tells us that God is light and in Him there is no darkness. That's 1 John 1.5. The Bible tells us that God sanctifies us with His word because His word is the truth. That's John 17, 17. The Bible tells us that God works all things together for our good. That's Romans eight twenty eight, And that He will complete the good work that He began in us. Philippians 1, 6. Behold the faithfulness of your God and Lord, church. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. Now again, notice that we aren't promised the absence of temptation, but that there are parameters within which we will experience temptation. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. This is an important part of the promise. Now don't misunderstand, Paul isn't saying that we will always face easy temptations. That It's not how it works. Easy temptations that we think we can resist on the basis of our own willpower. Not being tempted beyond our ability means that God will supply the grace, strength, and yes, the avenues of escape that we need in order to endure. Brothers and sisters, hear this. Some temptations are so strong that the only way to overcome them is to run away. And God promises this avenue of escape with each temptation. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking, because I have thought this myself. If God promises the way out, then why do I have such a hard time finding it when I'm tempted? That's a legitimate question. But let me answer it with a question of my own. How often are you asking God to show you the way of escape? Seriously. When the temptation to sin is strong, how often do we pray? And when we do pray, how often are we asking God to open our eyes to the way out? Now, what I'm about to say may seem harsh at first, but please understand that it is coming from a place of love and it is also a confession of my own weaknesses. Oftentimes, we don't pray or seek God's way of escape from temptation because, honestly, we like to be tempted. Do we not? Sin promises a temporary reward that in our weakness often looks more appealing than the long-term reward of remaining faithful. And this is where we must grow in our faith, dear ones. God tells us explicitly that sin is bad, that sin dishonors him, that it is ultimately bad for us. In fact, Sin is so bad that the only remedy for our sin was the death of Jesus on the cross, bearing the wrath of God, in order that we would be forgiven for that sin. But when we are tempted, sin doesn't look as ugly as it actually is. And it's during these times, dear ones, that we must trust what God says more than what our flesh desires. The temptations we face are common, but this does not mean that they are not difficult. We must trust God. We must seek God. We must seek the way of escape. The goal in all of this, dear ones, is that we would be able to endure for the glory of God. Look at the end of verse 13. It says that you may be able to endure it. God allows temptation into our lives to increase our dependence on Him, to strengthen our faith, and to teach us to endure To endure means to to stand up under a burden, to to stand firm and to be strong in the Lord. Again, dear ones, this isn't a a do-it-yourself or or pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps approach to the Christian life, but it is a call to total dependence on our faithful God. I take you back to the middle of the verse. God is faithful. James 1:12 reveals that God promises blessedness and reward for faithfulness under trials. He writes, Blessed is the man who, who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. It's a blessing to stand up under trial. It is a blessing to stand up under temptation, even though it is difficult. Brothers and sisters, it is God's will that we grow and are strengthened in our faith. And as we learn to endure through faith, we find true joy and the promise of eternal reward. Brothers and sisters, God's warnings and his promises are for our good. Now, as has been my practice over the past few sermons, I want to close by giving you two ways to apply this message in your Christian life. The first from the first point and then the second from point two. In verses 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul uses events recorded in the Old Testament as a reminder of the reality of temptation, the, the danger of the sin of unbelief, and the reality of God's faithfulness in dealing with those who rebelled against him. Now, oftentimes when we read the Old Testament, it's, it's tempting to do so with a detached perspective. After all, we're, we're children of the new covenant, are we not? We've been saved by Jesus. We're members of his body, the church. Those Old Testament stories don't really apply to us, do they? Well, not so fast. While I would warn each of you against the danger of reading ourselves into the Bible's narratives, for example, you are not David in the story of David and Goliath, This does not mean that there isn't a lot that we can learn about God and how he interacts with his people. There is certainly much we can learn about ourselves as we can all relate to the weakness of the Israelites and we should lean on the Old Testament the way Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. God's history has been recorded to teach, encourage, and even warn us concerning the importance of faithfulness. Even the heroes of the Old Testament are fraught with weakness and failure. And this should encourage us as we consider God's patience and faithfulness to His promises. So read the Old Testament. Read it to learn. Read it to grow. Read it to to know God better. He has not changed. Secondly, from our... Second point, I want to first remind you of the importance of being humble before the Lord. Let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Failure is often rooted in unfounded confidence in ourselves. Being mindful of the fact that we are weak and that we need God's help to be faithful every day is the first step in preparing us to seek that way of escape from temptation before we are overcome by sin. As we read God's word daily, as we learn to pray regularly that that, that God would develop within us a a holy hatred for sin, we should also ask Him to make us more sensitive to the Spirit's prompting within our lives concerning temptation. Sometimes it's not until we are on the, the edge of the cliff feeling like we're about to fall into sin that we realize, wait a minute, I've been tempted by this for a long time. How much easier would it have been to resist if I had recognized here, when it began, that I was being tempted to evil, rather than here, when I've entertained the thought so strong that it seems like that is the only way out. So we need a sensitivity. We, we, we need to recognize that when it's time to run, when it's time to escape, we need to do so right away. And secondly, I want to challenge you to memorize verses like 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. As we hide God's word within our hearts through memorization, this becomes the well from which the Holy Spirit draws in order to guide and strengthen us in the faith. Let that sink in. Our, our approach to the Christian life too often is the approach, oh, well, well God's just going to get me out of it. He, 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 he promises to do so. Well, yes, he does, but there's also the understanding that we're going to actually know what he says in his word. And, and so we want to have that within us. And let me just candidly tell you that if I can remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13, 25 years later than any of you, can remember, because I can barely remember what I did yesterday. True story. But as we hide God's word in our heart, this becomes the wellspring of life. It becomes the source of, uh, of, of, of what God draws from to help us to be more faithful. If you would like suggestions for other verses, please come see me. But this should, be become, a, uh, should become a part of our Regular spiritual discipline. We read, we remember, we apply God's word on our lives. We trust it and we ask him for the strength to be faithful. Let us pray. Lord, no temptation has overtaken us, but such as is common to man. But you are faithful, who will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that we will be able to endure it. Lord, this is, 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 is a promise based in your faithfulness, Lord, and it is a promise that, that I know each one of us who desires to live faithfully, Lord, want to, want to see played out. Lord, we're, we recognize that, that, that we will fail, that, that we will make mistakes in this life, but Lord, we want to grow in holiness as well. And so we thank you for the grace that covers our lives. Lord, we recognize that we do not keep ourselves saved. Your goodness, your kindness, Jesus, your sacrifice secures us. But Lord, we want our lives to reflect your greatness. So Lord, would you do a work within us? Lord, that we would be a church of men and women who who, who love one another sacrificially, who are serious about walking in, in holiness and faithfulness to you. And Lord, that you would use us to, to 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 share the greatness of your name in this lost and dying world, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Stand and sing again.